And guys, welcome to the Men's Journal Everyday Warrior Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Sorelli. Uh, we've got Sean White. Uh, Sean, thank you for joining us, man. Of course. Thank you for having me. Well, dude, so, you know, as you go through the numbers, 15 gold medals from the X Games, two of those in skateboarding, 11 SB awards, which I tried to work, uh, look and do research. If that's the most SB awards ever given, uh, five time Olympian, three Olympic half pipe gold medals. Um, you put yourself in the category with one of your mentors and, and somebody else, a, a term that we often use called, uh, the goat, uh, <laughs> Tony Hawk, um, Tom yeah. Brady, dude, you are the goat, probably, uh, the best that's ever been and in my opinion, the best that will ever shred on snow. Uh, did, did you ever sit back and think about that, dude? I mean, I, I dreamt I've always wanted to be that. You know, ever since I can remember as a kid, I just I just wanted to be a pro snowboarder. And at the time, that didn't really mean much. You know, it was like pretty pretty wild sport, pretty wild characters in the sport. And not a lot of mountains really wanted us around as snowboarders. And not like a clear path for traditional sports where it's like, oh, yeah, you join the, you know, or whatever. You, you play in school, then hopefully you go onto the team and then the pro, like – you know, there wasn't like that clear cut path. And so I remember wanting it to happen, but it just didn't really seem like, like the Olympics wasn't an option at the time. So I didn't, wasn't like, I'm going to be an Olympic champion. Yeah. It just wasn't in the cards. And so, um, you know, as those opportunities presented themselves, I was like, wow, okay. Like I got to take full advantage of this and, and really, you know, lean into it because the other options at this point, you know, uh, friends of mine, they, you know, they say that the, the metaphor of burning your life raft, like I'm in it. If, if this doesn't work, we're sinking. It's over. Like, I was in it from the start. And so to be called that now is pretty wild. I mean, I, I, I would never have even taken that information in in the beginning. But now that I'm, I'm at a point in my life there, I can look back and, and be, um, yeah, be, be thankful for all the things that have gone down and the sport I was in and, and everything I've accomplished. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of it. Well, and not to, to, to put the nail in the coffin, but you know, Tony Hawk is sort of synonymous with skateboarding and you paved the way for snowboarding. I mean, you guys will always be the iconic figureheads of those two sports. And it wasn't always snowboarding. You grew up in San Diego. You yeah. actually started on four wheels oh, yeah. before you got into uh, to snowboarding. And you actually had the pleasure of meeting Tony Hawk at a young age and he gave you some mentorship and, and advice. How pivotal was that to sort of your direction within the uh, the sport? Well, it was pretty wild. I mean, think of the characters that were in the sport at the time. You know, you had these pretty wild guys. I remember my hero on on snow was a guy named Damian Sanders. He had a because he had a black mohawk and he had shaved his front teeth to be fangs. I was like, this guy who could only do these layout backflips over snow. I was like, that's the guy. Like, I like. Anyways, he's still amazing. But Tony Hawk was, you know, he was a family man. He was, he was a dad. He was like, he was like, you know, he carried himself in a certain way. He had, you know, respect among his peers and he, he carried that sort of that, that status of being a legend at that age. And so I remember meeting him and just being like, wow, like this guy is, he's a class act and he's going through, I mean, it just, I think, you know, shortly after this had landed or if not right before this had landed the 900, his video game came out, like he was everywhere. He's blowing up. And he was going through everything that I was kind of about to go through, which I didn't realize at the time. But having somebody around me where I'm like, wow, this is how he interacts with fans. And this is how he balances his life to still keep his family in the mix. And, oh, this is what he does within the sport. And I was like, all those little details to kind of look at. Like, he, he drove a nice car, but he didn't drive the craziest car. He did, you know, he, he really 
kind of like set that tone of, of what life sustainable, sustainable kind of that life and that sport, which wasn't really around at that time. So it was really a really amazing thing to meet him and to be able to be in his sphere at that time. You, you know, it's interesting looking back, talking about Tony Hawk is, you know, one, I grew up in, in San Jose, Northern California, uh, heavy skate culture up there as well. Yeah. Is, you know, you know, those sports were also, uh, I hate to use the word again, synonymous with like punk rock, Pennywise, you know, okay. uh, bad religion. Is he didn't really fit that punk mold for, for skateboarders. He was always sort of very clean cut in, in what I got from him. And that'd be interesting. It seemed like he had a laser focus, but you had that same focus where he blocked out yeah. all that, the, the persona and everything. It's like, all I care about is the sport and the execution of my, my skills. Yeah. No, I mean, there's, there's, there's the obvious like enjoyment of the sport. Like it feels good to like flying in the air to me was like the ticket. That's all I want to do. Whether I was on a bicycle, on a scooter, on a whatever, like I have photos of me, like, you know, jumping, uh, ramps and little things in my neighborhood on my bicycle. And like, somehow I convinced, I don't know why my parents and all the parents in the neighborhood let this happen, but I, I, I convinced them to let me line up the, the children in the neighborhood to see how far, how many kids I could clear on my bicycle. Like I have photos of this. It's like, it's insane. But then again, strangely, the neighborhood had this confidence like, Oh, Sean can do it. You can do it. Well, yeah. I'll put my child down there. I'll let, it, you know, let, it, let me jump over him. But, um, you know, I think from a young age, I realized that, like, one, I had a, a bit of a talent for, you know, eyeballing speed and, and distance and these things. And I had great balance. And then you connected me with this sport that, you know, there were no real rules. It was like I could do any tricks that I wanted to do, anything I wanted to work on. There wasn't like you go to soccer practice and you run the drills that the coach tells you to run. This was all up to interpretation by me. And so you kind of combine that freedom with something new and something different. And and that my, that drive that I had already, you know, but yeah, I, I lasered in and went like, okay, like there was the fun side. And then as I got a little older and started competing, it became like, okay, I really want to, you know, have these skills because I'm going to go and compete. It gave meaning to learning new tricks. It was no longer just like, Oh, I want to do this. That'd be cool. And it would feel good. You know, I had that still, but then again, there was the bonus of getting to do it, um, with some, something on the line, some States, you know, hey, when I interview people, it's not, I, I'm never, I like it with the question of, I gotcha, but let me ask this. Like when we watch you mm -hmm. on the, in the half pipe and some of the, the, the stuff you pull off. Yeah. I mean, we literally were watching like, no, he, he didn't No, he didn't. He just <laughs> did that. And, and there is like same people don't don't do or attempt that type of thing so like in your opinion is there a a, a gene missing in you called fear <laughs> I, it's um, insane i mean because the, the end effect is if you don't land one of those yeah i mean people have been seriously hurt if not killed yeah no for sure i mean look you know i i've i know people that have passed away by you know, means of snowboarding, um, skiing, it, you know, you hit a rock, you, you just hit something wrong. It's, it's wild. I mean, obviously there's risk in everything, you know, yeah. um, it's like 50 cent can get shot what nine times, but a straight bullet kills somebody. You're like, dude, what is happening? It's all, you know, like I can, I can fall from, you know, 20 feet out of the sky onto my back and I'm okay. But a kid skateboarding down his, 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 uh, driveway and hits his head wrong and it's over. Like, 
you were, we're very resilient as people, but we're also so fragile. And so I would say it sounds crazy, but I, I, I feel like everything that I've done has had such a calculated risk to it. Like I, I walk away a lot and I don't think that's what you see. I think when we watch poker on TV, we're seeing all the hands that they're playing, but we're not seeing the 20 hands that they folded. You know, it's like yeah. you're waiting for your moment to strike. And, and for me, I always just felt like I knew when the moment was and when it wasn't, I just would go off my gut. And there's been plenty of major competitions that I've pulled out of. because I was like, I just don't feel safe. And whether or not I, no I could have powered through and been okay or not, like I made that choice and we'll never know. But I do know one thing, I went on to snowboard the next day. I went on to the next event and put that behind me and I rode when I did feel confident. So I feel like there are times, but the fear thing is something that I feel like I learned to just manage. You know, mm -hmm. it was definitely there. I, I'd be lying to say I just stroll up. There's a couple people I know that I, I think that just literally what you're talking about don't have that fear. Uh, maybe Travis Pastrana, <laughs> like he does some wild stuff where he wake up and jump out of an airplane. But like for me, I, I always felt like everything was very calculated. I was like, okay, I want to be here at my career at this point doing this trick, and then when this happens, then I'll be there and I'll be I'll be wearing this and I'll and I'll say that and I'll like I really tried to best create this visual of what I wanted to accomplish, and then it was my job to match that to reality and any steps that I could. Um, big or small, but, um, you know, the vis visualizing it all. But, um, but yeah, I would say that I do, I do walk away quite a bit. And, and, um, you know, fortunately for me, like I would never just stroll up and do a new trick. So if you see me doing a big trick on TV, that means that I've like, like I thought of doing the trick and then I started working on like any trick that was similar to that, like, oh, okay, that trick lands in a certain direction. So I'm gonna sit here all day, I'm gonna work on a similar trick that has the same takeoff, but obviously a different landing. And then I'm gonna, you know, so I, I work all the pieces of the puzzle, and then I wait for that perfect moment where the snow is soft, the, the sun is out, there's no wind, I'm energized, ready to go, motivated, and I do it. And so I think, you know, that peak state, that peak moment. So I feel like for me, um, yeah, it was all about timing and, and, and my job was to just get to that place as quickly as I could, um, you know, and utilize that sort of moment and take advantage of that moment. Luckily I grew up in California. It was always sunny. It was always nice. I mean, like people are like, aren't you from Colorado? Are you from Alaska? Did you grow up in Norway? I'm like, no, I grew up in Southern California near the beach. Like I rode at the slushiest kind of crummy you know, backyard mountain resort, but it was perfect for me because the weather was great. They had a high speed chairlift. It was decent distance from my home in San Diego. Like there's a lot of factors that came into play to make that the perfect training ground. So, you know, again, what a lot of people don't see and everyone sort of only sees people when they're, they're successful. Are, are you a strong believer that fortune favors the prepared? I mean, did you oh, just, yeah. you left nothing to chance. That's how you mitigated risk. Yeah. Uh, where, where other athletes may jump into things. You were, you were, you were taking every step to make sure that you were prepared. Yeah. I mean, that, that was the thing. I just, I would just, I would just work it into the ground. I mean, if this was the trick we're going to do, we're going to do that. So like, you know, I was working up to doing this trick in the half pipe most recently um, around the last Olympics. I landed a couple of them, but I didn't end up doing it at the Olympics um, because the tricks changed and whatnot. But the trick is the, is the switch double mic twist 1260. And I knew that like 
that trick for me, taking off switch at that angle and things. So I made a pack with myself, like I'm gonna ride switch every single day, no matter what. So I get so comfortable with that, that by the time I take it to snow and I even start trying the trick, I'm already that much further along. Like any little step, any little thing I can do to complete a, a part of the puzzle would help that overall puzzle get completed. And so, um, so for me, I think, the combination of just like working it and, 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 and I would say quality over quantity though. I, I don't know. I don't know if you know this with guys, like people, you know, other, you know, I, I shouldn't say just guys, there's plenty of females out there. I think a lot of people fall victim to this same sort of thing is this, it's a bit of procrastination. It's like, Oh, well, well I'll get up there. And like, how often are you just working on that you know, golf swing, or how often you're just working the free throw, how often you're really just working that specific thing. I mean, I show up, I do a couple runs to warm up, and I just start throwing my hardest tricks. Because I know that when I get there, I have about like a two to three hour window where I'm going to be the best I'm going to be for the day. And my my energy is slowly going to trail off through the day. Yeah. I don't yeah. ride all day and then go, oh, maybe I'll chuck the big trick here at the last you know, hour of the session. Like, no, I show up, I do my little warm up or whatever I need to do to get my head in the right place. I do a couple runs and I start throwing my hardest tricks and then I get out. I don't let my energy drop. I don't wait to like sit there and roll the dice on that last trick one more time. And then I repeat the next day. I think a lot of my competitors I noticed would show up and kind of like mess around all day and then maybe try a couple of tricks here and there. Like, I feel like I was more surgical about it. I was more precise. And I think that came from, it, it sounds like, yeah, yeah. That, that is, you know, uh, one of, one of my colleagues, we, we've got something called legacy expedition a guy named Andy stuff. He's got a yeah. podcast called cleared hot and he broke the wingsuit record mm. for height and, uh, and distance. Good dude, man. Wow. Um, we, we recently went to Iceland on a skydiving expedition. And we weren't concerned. There was like 60 other skydivers. We weren't concerned about ourselves. Yeah. But the people running it were wildly unsafe. Mm. And we pulled off after the fourth jump. It was supposed to be 16 jumps. Wow. It was a hard decision, but we're like, hey, one, we don't want to be associated with these people because they, like they were just uh, breaking basic rules. Okay. And um, we, we received a, a lot of bad feedback. Like you guys failed, blah, blah. It's, it, and I want people to understand that. Like, they just think you're, you're, they think you're, you're fearless mm. and nobody is because Pennywise said it best. Life is the most precious thing you can lose. Oh, and I know you, you hold that dear too, man. Of course. Um, so, you know, you first debuted, uh, in the X games in 2013 and I know you dedicated your life, man. I'm sure like when, when your friends were off partying at times, you were, you were, you sacrificed a lot of things in, in your life. Yeah. Um, I'd be interested in that, but first off, Stepping into the X Games at 13. Yeah. Uh, like, bro, what, what was that like? That had to be a little overwhelming. And at what point do you, do you think you got comfortable? If you weren't comfortable then, how long did it take you to get comfortable at that level? I remember the thing that was crazy is I wanted to enter sooner, but I remember X Games being like, well, it's not very extreme if a 10 year old's doing it. So, like, 13 <laughs> years to do that. And, you know, on, when I turned 13, it was just like, oh, it was a big decision for many reasons. It was like, okay, like I've been missing time, you know, days at school, families like spending some money now to get me places. It's just becoming expensive. Like 
are we doing this or are we not doing this? And like, yeah, maybe we can get away with a couple more years in the amateur division, but like, what's the point? And I had started winning the amateur divisions with the same kind of run and tricks every year. I wasn't progressing as much as I felt like I needed to. It's kind of phoning it in a little. Um, the only reason being is that I, I only rode with, you know, people way better than me. My brother, he's seven years older than me, all his friends. I'm doing the tricks they're doing. And then I bumped down in my age bracket and I was, I was, you know, unstoppable. And so I think for me, um, you know, going into competing, um, at those early ages and, and, and especially professional, I remember my knees shaking at the start gate. <laughs> I was like, Oh God, <laughs> you know, like I said, I was going to do it. Now I'm doing it and I'm here. And I remember being like incredibly nervous. Um, you know, they're pretty nice guys at the top. The riders are like, you got this, don't sweat it, you know, but I was a bit of a, you know, it was a, it, it was an act, not an act. I felt very serious about it, but it was like a little kid doing the, doing the course which was cool and all but like you know from that day forward it was all about me trying to be you know taken seriously as a credit you know a, a legitimate snowboarder professional and and me battling they're like oh up next future boy Sean White's doing the and I you know like and it was cool obviously to be considered the future of the sport but like I wanted to be taken seriously now and um you know my height my size all these things were kind of like keeping that from happening and so I don't think it really kicked in until I was probably like 15 is when I was like, okay, 13, 14, that was a good intro. I'm 15, put a little bit of meat on the bones. I got a little bigger, let's go. And I started getting, um, I got, I started getting second place. I was podium pretty much every competition I entered. Um, and then I popped like one or two first place that year, which was huge. Like once you taste that, like that it's a, a reality it's not just like oh you know i'd like to win like no i actually won i broke the seal like i'm it is a possibility and if if i'm not going to win then it's not you know and so i really i clicked in that year and another thing i should note that year that was really big was was um i'd missed out on the olympic run so it was 2002 and i was trying to go to the olympics um and this is probably the second Olympics that had ever happened for snowboarding. It was in Salt Lake City, Utah, uh, 2002. And I missed out at the last event. I'm in first place. There's only one more rider to go. And he, he barely beat my score. And I was just like devastated. You know, I, I didn't get to go to the Olympics. I didn't get to go be a part of that. And I loved the Olympics from watching it on TV as a kid. And so that really just put me in this sort of like, all right, I'd learned to be comfortable with my own skin and get to this point i tasted victory but i still had this major upset and it just pushed me to this place that um i knew was in me but it, it really kicked me to that next level where i was like all right i'm not going to do the tricks that they're doing anymore that the best guys are doing i'm going to do the tricks that they want to do like what's going to be the separator like how am i going to look like if it's being young and being looked at as this, like how without a doubt am I going to show that I'm the winner? I'm not trying anymore to like be, be in contention. Like I want to be ahead of everyone. And so that's how I started training. So the 2002 Olympic, yeah. missing the 2002 Olympics was, oh, that was, was a big, the inflection point. Yeah, it's a big motivator. So at 16, I won pretty much everything I entered. At about like undefeated season, I remember getting two silver medals at the X Games that year um, in 2002, 
and then being like, I'm coming back here and I'm going to win the double gold. And I did it. Um, cause I did pipe and slope at the time. And that was just huge. I had arrived. It was just like, here I am. I finally got the strength. I was on the, you know, I was on the cusp of winning and then I just pushed it over the edge. So that was, that was a real defining moment in my career to have that upset and not let it break me and then push forward to, you know, do, do well, you know, that was, that was a clutch moment. Dude, in, in, in I, one competing at that level, I, I hesitate to say the word failure. Um, but I'm a believer that f- failure is, is life's greatest mentor. It's also life's greatest motivator. Oh, yeah. you know, let, me, let me ask you this. So when you said, hey, I'm going to level up the skill to yeah. which no one can compete. Did you have naysayers like, hey, Sean, what, just why don't you focus on the basics mm-hmm. and, and just become better at the tricks everyone else is doing? Or, or people in your corner saying, okay, hey, man, then we've got to like dissect these. Let, let's create these, these new maneuvers, these new jumps. Um, and, and what was that process? It, it sounds like very innovative. Yeah. What you did. I mean, well, you define the sport. Yeah. At the time, we, you know, there's not coaches. I mean, we like the Olympic team had coaches. I, I never really had a coach. I had my older brother in my corner who was always like super motivating and just kind of like there with me and he'd give advice on tricks. So he was the closest I had to a coach. Um, and, you know, we worked together to, you know, um, he, he was an amazing artist. And so he would create all the designs and because I had certain this point so like a signature snowboard or a pro model boot or sunglasses whatever it was like he would be kind of the art force behind me to help me get those things done and, and so we kind of created this little ecosystem of business around my sporting life which was cool because you know snowboarding isn't really you know the, the field of play isn't really where you make your money there's no team that's going to sponsor you for zillions of dollars you know it's it's like you're your own individual person out there trying to make it and and, you know, you can win some prize money here and there, but usually the sponsors are where you're going to make, you know, the most money. And obviously in a sport that's not so, you know, well-known and whatever, like it was important to try to make a living. Um, so I could keep, so the party could keep going, you know, I could keep, I could keep riding. Um, but anyways, I think at that point, you know, doing those tricks, that was all just me. It was strategy. It was like, okay, we're here. And I was already kind of like, doing similar tricks i remember just seeing my run i'm like what was different about his run compared to mine maybe he went a little bigger maybe he you know and i think that's what you know i touched on it a a second ago but i glazed over it was like what's the separator what's the thing where you look at oh my god that was different that was something unique you know it's like whatever you do like what are you going to do that that separates you from the pack from the herd and um and so that's where i was like okay well he's got all these tricks but he won't have this trick and I know that because I've watched his riding. He struggles with this trick. He struggles with spinning in this direction. So that's where I'm going to stake my claim. And I know my other competitors are strong here, but they're also not strong in this place. So if I can, I can, you know, take the top three guys, it's usually the same guys and go, okay, you know, let's pick them apart. Let's see what their strengths are, what they're working on. I see them every day at the mountain. What are they working on? What are they trying? What do they want to do? Okay, well, if he learns that, then obviously I should be here learning one step above. I would just, I just kind of calculated it all. And I don't know what it came from, whether I I just love board games. I love being strategic, but I think there's plenty of times where I stepped out on the mountain. I don't think I was the best, but I just wanted it more. And I found that kind of separator. There's one story I'll tell you that's really fun because I was at the X Games and there was this jump, it was called the channel gap. And basically they built a jump 
and then they cut the middle out of it and you'd go from one side to the other. And it was a really amazing course. And while we were doing training, there's a guy, Travis Rice, amazing snowboarder. You've seen him doing this huge backcountry videos, um, incredible rider. He tried to jump the channel and didn't make it. And so the word got out within the ranks of the riders. Like, oh my God, did you hear Travis didn't make the gap? Like, I'm not going near it. I'm not going near it. And so everybody kind of wrote it off. And I heard them saying that, you know, and to me, it was like, oh, don't invest in Apple. You know, like, no, I'm going to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, okay, that's, that's where I got. No matter what we do, if I do something in this space, even if it's just something, it's going to be different than everyone else. And so I ended up, I ended up having like a pretty similar run to my competitor because um, we were we were toe to toe that season. But I had something cool over that specific feature and that won me the event. So I was always looking for that thing that was going to be unique. And and I think as well as my riding, there were other things that made me stand out. Um, and it's not things that I really focused on too much, but it just naturally sort of happened. Like I, I looked different. I had red hair. You know, and so I like leaned into it. I had long red hair. I had, you know, and I got really into like playing guitar and rock and roll, all this stuff. So I had this vibe and this, you know, but this just these little things to kind of separate me from the pack that made me look unique and then uh, in turn feel unique and, and, and to lean in that. And then I really kind of cultivated this like, you know, well, this is who I am and this is what I'm about. And and this is the performance that I'm going to deliver if I am that person that is unique. And, it, you know, it started to kind of like feed itself from within and, 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 and over the years just kind of like, you know, put me in a different place. I mean, there's plenty of people that have won the Olympics before me and will continue to win the Olympics after me. But, you know, the rarity of actually going on beyond your sport and having success in those things. And I think a lot of that came from, I think, being myself and choosing you know, a different path. Like you said, what, what was that thing of going like, well, shit, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to do the tricks they're not doing. Like something in me was like, I got to be different. I got to be me. I got to be unique. And, um, and that really served me through my career. To, this may be a stupid question. I've always wondered this to what degree are you familiar with like physics and geometry? I mean, were you guys breaking down like the, the double McTwist, uh, 1260 and even the triple core 1440, I mean, were you were you using simulators or anything, or was that just walking and, and sort of feeling it out? Uh, additionally, did you guys ever use yeah. like foam? No, so, along those lines. A great question. So in the beginning, um, you would just chuck it. You would just hope and pray that it worked out. But we weren't really doing double flips at that point. I mean, double flips maybe a couple were attempted, and most of them were in the backcountry, right? So um, backcountry snowboarding, you know, you'll it'll snow ten feet, right? and somebody will hit a jump, that's nature's foam pit. That's, that's you jumping <laughs> soft, pillowy, you know, set up and um, being able to come out safely, even if you land on your head or something. So the tricks were far more advanced in the slope style arena, the jumps arena, because of that. And so what happened was we were gearing up for the 2010 Olympics of uh, Vancouver. And I remember thinking, gosh, I want to win this next Olympics. How do I separate myself from the pack? How do I do something unique that's maybe never been done before? Because at this point, we'd already kind of done everything that there was to be done. Now it's time to invent, to create. And people were doing these crazy things in slope styles. So I was like, okay, 
So I remember it's like a year or two in advance. I like called a sponsor of mine. I was out surfing with a buddy and I was like, you know, I just won this last Olympics. Um, it was getting hard for me to show up to the local resort. I was pretty, pretty well known. And, you know, people trying to get selfies on the side of the half pipe while I'm in the air, people talking to me while I'm, tra- you know, it's just like, it's like um, Lewis Hamilton training for the F1 and the uh, everyday streets with people yeah. like this. Yeah. You just can't do it. You need to focus in and, and, and um, or trying to do the hot, you know, whatever it is. But um, so anyways, I, I, I came up with the idea with a friend of mine. I was like, why don't we build a private half pipe and why don't we put a foam pit? Um, they're doing it in gymnastics. They're doing it in, you know, motorcycle riding. Like, why don't we do that? Yep. And so we put this little project together and made it happen. And, and at that training camp, I invented probably three or four new tricks that really changed. Um, one, the, the way in which we did it using a foam pit, um, that type of training changed the sport forever. And then the, the tricks that I created really set the tone and path for the next 10 years or more in the sport. I'm trying to remember when you got injured, that was right before the 2014 Olympics. Yeah, that was right before 20. No, that was right before 2018. That was the Korea. Olympics. When, 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 when you launch from the pipe, did you ever have a feeling of, Oh, like, Oh no, this, this one's off. Did you feel that oh, or you yeah. did one or just, it sort of happened. It's just like, anyway, if you ever shot a basketball or, you know, kicked a soccer ball. Yeah. You know right away. You're watching. You're like, oh, I felt off. I, I, the, I didn't connect. I didn't. You know, you, you you swung and hit the ball. But you just know you nicked it. Like you just you can feel that. And so for me, everything really slows down. And I'm like, oh my god, okay. But I'm like 20 feet in the air. So I'm like, all right, uh, this isn't good, you know. And I'm fl- I'm like committed to the tricks. I'm coming around. I'm just kind of bracing myself. And of course, you know, I was correct. I was I was. Um, about four or five feet over the deck of the half pipe. So the wall of the half pipe itself is 22 feet tall from the flat bottom up to the top. And then I'm flying out of the half pipe at least a good, you know, 17 to 20 something feet every try. Um, usually the standard air is, you know, I'd say 14 to 20 something feet. And so when I came around, I clipped the top of the half pipe. Now, half pipe writings, it's really intense because you have to really feather your jump every time. You want to jump off the wall, push off the wall enough to get back into the half pipe, but not too much because if you land low, you lose all your momentum and speed for the next wall, and it creates this kind of chain reaction of, of um, you know, making it harder and harder to do your tricks. Now you're set up poorly for the next trick. So, um, but if you don't push off enough, you can hit the top, which is called the deck of the pipe. And so I'm flying yeah. through the air, double flip, I'm coming around, and boom, I hit the top of the wall which really, you know, twisted up my back and, and, and whiplash in my neck. But then I bounced from the top of the wall, 22 feet to the bottom, where, you know, my face pretty much broke my fall. And, I mean, I, I just looked like I ate a grenade. I mean, my, my lip was busted open. My nose was split through the stem. And then I cut through my forehead. I bit through my tongue. You know, I had these pretty terrible um, bruising in my lungs. So I was like... You know, I had a lot of blood I was spitting up. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just like, you know, uh, somebody running a red light, like things can go south pretty quickly. And, yeah. you know, we tow that line of, you know, the danger of it all. And, and you know, sometimes it, it goes the other way. The car crashes. And, and it's what you do before, 
you know, you put your seatbelt on, you put your helmet on, you put your stuff, you whatever you got to do. Um, but you can still crash and it could still be yeah. an awful experience. And, and it's just kind of like how it goes. You know, we take the risk and, and for, I mean, I celebrate my career cause out of this long, long career I've had, I, I haven't had too many of these moments. Um, but this one was really bad. Yeah. It was right before the qualifying of the Olympics, maybe a couple months. And, um, you know, I, my face is blown apart and I'm just like, it wasn't the worst, I think physically, jarring injury but it was the most mentally because it was my fate mm -hmm. every day I wake up and look in the mirror and i'm like oh my god what did i do what happened you know I, I, thankfully i had great surgeons put me back together down there in new zealand but you know it just was this reminder of like what can go wrong and and i did severity price and um and so coming back out on the snow was a pretty heavy decision it was like okay well Obviously, this wasn't a, a, a thing that happens very often, but if I step back out on the snow, I got to make a firm decision. This is what I want to do with all of my heart because if I'm not fully in it, this could easily happen again. And I have to be fully in it because in some small way, I got to be willing to let this happen again. There is a risk of this happening again, this horrible, horrible experience happening and repeating itself, um, you know, going for these big tricks. So I made that decision and and just push forward, you know, but that, that was another defining moment. I know you wanted to, to touch on some of those, obviously, uh, the, the Olympics in Sochi was a big one, but this one was also a heavy one, you know, and people don't really think that that would be something that would really help me in the long run, but I swear it really helped me in the wrong. I uh, trust me. If you would have told me, look at the silver lining or like, Hey, look at the bright side while I'm sitting in the hospital and my face hanging open. Like I would have, I would have flipped out on you, but you know, I'd been in this position enough to know I'm like, as something I'm being taught a lesson here, something's happening. Like life's happening, you know, for me right now, not to me. And I got to know and it, it, whether it's the decision to retire and to back away, then that's totally cool. And if my gut's telling me that, then okay, live with it. But my gut is telling me that like, hey, this happened for a reason and what is that reason? And, and to me, it wasn't to retire, but it was like, how badly do I want this? You know, I'm getting older. I had not done well at the previous Olympics and I told myself I really wanted this, but you know, do I want it or do I need it? What's the difference? And, and are you willing to like, like, you know, are we gonna let this, this shut us down or is this going to be the thing that goes like, I'm not going to let this have happen to me for nothing. Like I'm going to push through. And, and that's what my gut was telling me at the time. And, and I, 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 I tread lightly when I tell this to people, cause that's not always the answer. It could have easily been like, look, push the brakes. It's too much. Like I said, I walk away a lot from dangerous situations, but my heart of hearts was saying that this happened to me for a reason that I needed to make a, a firm, decision in my life that this is what I needed and I had to push forward and and now without a doubt like I'm gonna do this because I want to do it and I have to do it and and that's what it was telling me at the time so it really cleared that seed of doubt in my mind um going into that Olympic run which I really needed um to motivate and, and for the listeners he went on to win the gold in 2018 yeah. dude and the story is so show, I, 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 I'll jump on it real quick but like I hadn't really done that trick since that incident. I, I maybe I maybe did it once or twice at the you know training for the Olympics and during the qualifying events, but all these crazy situations got in the way, and I'd never done the actual routine. 
And I waited all the way till I was at the Olympics. I had this, this pact with myself. I was like, I'm not going to do it unless the conditions are perfect and I'm ready and it's everything's perfect has to happen. I'm going to do it again. And that only happened like one time before this Olympics. So I'm there at the Olympics and I got one run to go. My back's against the wall and I'm like, all right, <laughs> now or never, you know, I have to do this run for the first time in order to win the gold. And man, like the clouds parted song I recognized came on over the loudspeaker the flags were blowing like it was just that perfect I don't know you've seen the movie Bagger Vance or it was that perfect shot it was yep, like, yep. this is the moment I've been waiting for and thank goodness it's today but this is it and I put down the run of my life and won the gold it was it was I mean till this day I watch it and I I get anxiety because it was so intense and it was such a a moment and just so thankful that I was able to pull through, but, um, but a lot took me to get there. And afterwards, when you see me crying, I mean, it was an emotional journey to get to that place. It wasn't a crazy physical one. It was like getting my head right, falling in love with the sport again, like all these things to get to that point, to have that perfect moment. Um, and the crash was part of it. So, you know, if I would have sat back and been like, that shouldn't have happened and I never should have like, no, it did happen. And what's next? That's that's how I just click into gear now. Like, okay, what's next? What do I? How, how do I? What's what's what path are we going to take now? Rather than like, you know, looking at a door closed, it's a door open. Um, but it takes time to learn that. And I remember watching that. Hell, the world was watching that. We we saw it in you in, in the emotion alone. And, and as they say, the crowd went uh, wild. Yeah. So eventually, <laughs> you know, the world. The world was also watching because uh, there were speculations uh, at the Olympics on your final run. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it does not get more emotional than that uh, when you know you're leaving what is definitely one of the loves of your life. Um, how did that weigh on you? I mean, what were the thoughts when you knew you were proverbially hanging up the cleats um, and moving on to other ambitions in your, uh, in your life. Yeah. So, I mean, from 2018 winning the gold and then on my way to this next Olympics, I think what had happened to me was, you know, I lost the love of the sport. Um, and just that motivation, that drive, I had the tricks to win. I just didn't have the, the drive to put it down when it really needed to be done. Um, which is hard. It's like losing your superpower. And I'm like, Oh my God. Okay. So how do I bounce back from that? That's Sochi 2014. I found the love of the sport again. Things were great. New coach, physical therapist, team built around me. I'm back on the snow. I'm loving not only my life on the snow, but my life off of the snow relationships, you know, family members, all these things that I needed to clear up that I'd been putting on hold that that don't go away. They just, you know, fester. And so I, I addressed a lot of things in my life and I'm just a happier person in general, found the love of the sport again. And then boom, I'm tested, um, with that injury we just talked about in the hospital. Well, how much do you really love the sport? Come back to win that Olympics. And what was left afterward was still that love and appreciation for the sport. And so I'm like, God, I'd love to just continue on, you know, and so that run up to this last Olympics, you know, halfway through the season, old injuries are flaring up. It's getting harder to do certain tricks. Things just aren't clicking like they used to. And, you know, I'm reading the signs and just like I was put into check, I was put into check a couple times training for this last Olympics. And, and my gut was telling me like, Hey, it's time, you know, it's time to think about walking away. And what would that look like? What does that feel like? And the more I sat with it, it just kind of like, 
it spoke to me and, and that's what was, what was calling me. But, you know, r taking my last competitive run, um, you know, and sliding to the finish and seeing my competitors. And I mean, most of the people that were there were coaches that I used to compete with the camera guys that like, <laughs> you know, I've known for years because they, I've seen them, you know, over, over X amount of Olympics, you know, it's just wild to see, you know, the time that has, has passed by. I mean, a lot of my competitors were like, God, I, I used to, I didn't tell you this before, but like, I would run home from school every day to play your video game. Like, man, I used to, I used to wear your goggles, you know, I had your video, um, this movie part you did. I, I would get all my friends from the community. We'd all get together every night and stay up late and watch your movie part. And like, you know, just how I had influenced them in their life and career and the ripple effect of it all. And so it was a very sort of, um, you know, humbling and, and, and beautiful moment to hang it up and, and to have that sort of um, reaction from everyone. And, and it's nice. I mean, I feel fortunate. I'm in, a, I'm in a career path where I got to decide. No one called me into an office and was like, hey, how do we tell you this? Like, it's over. You're being traded or it's done. No one's picking you up. Or, you know, I got to decide. It wasn't like a big injury put me out and it was all over. It was all my choice. And, and through that, you know, I... I got to, um, you know, really, really enjoy that final run, that last dance. You know, it was it was great. Um, I would have liked more out of my last run. I definitely had a little bit more in the, <laughs> in the tank, but you don't always get what you want. And, and that's OK. You know, life has that way of like, you know, you've had enough picturesque moments like we're going <laughs> to, you know, like, enough's enough, you know, like. You can't always get what you want, but you should, you know, it's, it's that, that ability to be appreciative of what you do have. And, and so it was great. It was beautiful. And my only regret of it all is that my, my family and friends couldn't have been there. You know, COVID really put a damper on a lot of, a lot of people's lives and, you know, people lost. And, and so that really changed things. You know, I feel like it might have been a little different if I had my team of support there. Um, to really back me up in that moment but uh but it was beautiful it's great and and now um you know i'm sure we'll talk about it but as i was going for that olympics you know I, I i was kind of a free agent in the in the market for snowboarding equipment and ever since i was a kid i've dreamt of having my own brand i just you know i was a kid i had no idea of how to do it or where or when and what and after you know riding for different brands for you know so many years i've learned so much on product development and creating my own lines and things for them you know i was like wow why don't i take a moment and like create something of myself and and, and something for myself a brand that can live on past my snowboarding career and um so i i i, I linked up with my brother um who was always really creative and and we worked together in the past and i was like if i'm gonna do this like i want family i want my brother in it and so we came together to create what's called white space um our uh, our i would call it snow you know our roots are in snowboarding but it's more of like a lifestyle activewear um brand that's rooted in snowboarding and you know, my goal was to make equipment that you know was cool enough that you could go mountain biking or do whatever in it or wear it if you're cold in the city but it had also the ability to perform at the highest level in the in the coldest and like craziest weather situations which i encounter um you know that same jacket i could wear around new york city i could take it up and go ride in alaska with it um bringing that quality to people and 
and using my years of expertise writing, putting all that into boards. And, you know, I don't know if you're getting how calculated I am with the sport. Like I'm the same way with everything. I can't turn it off. Like, how do we take this material and make it better? Like, how do I take this board and like deliver a better performance, the, the separator that everyone else isn't doing that we're looking like. So it's just that same sort of mentality. And what's beautiful about it is I can keep that portion of my, my brain working um, at something else that's not snowboarding, uh, specifically competing, but still in that same world. And, and that part of me is not left dormant. So now that I've retired, I don't feel this weird loss of a part of me. I'm still you know, competing, but just in a different way. And the beautiful part of it is, is, you know, we talked about the ripple effect of seeing some of these athletes when I got to the bottom of the pipe and they told me about how I affected their careers. I mean, I was gifted a snowboard from Big Burton when I was seven years old. Like, look at that. Like, that's a crazy career path that was altered by his, his ripple effect, you know, and, and my life has never been the same since. And, and, and so for me now, thinking that these products that I'm making can alter someone else's life, that next generation. I mean, I get chills talking about it, but it's it's something beautiful and something exciting to look forward to. And um, yeah, all our, fall, all our stuff's coming out this fall. So like it's, it's all finally happening. Um, it was just an idea and now it's coming to fruition. So it's, it's been really great. It's really rewarding on many different levels. I've noticed that about great athletes is you almost get an MBA in branding. Mm. And, and I mean, Erin Andrews, look at her. She basically has created a whole female line based off sports that that's absolutely crushing it. Yeah. Um, the, the, and I'm so excited, man, for you. Um, is, is the, the website up whitespace.com or. Uh, yeah, I think, I think we're using uh, whitespace create um, for Instagram and then uh, whitespace mm -hmm. snow for uh, .com on our website. Um, but you can easily go to seanwhite.com and click the link and it'll take you over, um, to what we're doing with white space. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you learn so much from working with these brands and, you know, obviously I was very invested in the things that had my name on it. Cause my name's on it. I'm like, I'm not going to just put something out there. Um, you know, that somebody's going to use, that I haven't been involved with. So I would get in there and like, no matter what product it was, I would just be fully in it. And this one's great. Cause it, it's different than like, um, you know, a, a protein bar or something, you know, like not that that's not to yeah. any of those things, but this is my, this is what I do. This snowboarding, it's the boards, it's the gear, it's the, you know, like I've been in the gym, I've been training, I know what, it, you know, I know what it needs. And, and so it's not me doing something that's not authentic to me, which is really nice. I'm not like trying to wear different skin. I'm, 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 I'm in it. Um, and even the name is so great. Uh, white space is referring to like, it's a creative term for a blank canvas. It's a, a gap in the market, a space for something new to be created. And I always love that meaning. Obviously white is my, my name, but um, you know, that, that element of creation, because our sport's so unique. It's one of the only sports where, you know, I could show up and try, uh, you know, something new, invent a new trick and, and you can be the best in the world. All of a sudden there's, it's not just, you know, brute strength or something, you got to have this kind of artistry to it, you know, your interpretation of, of style. Um, and with snowboarding, it was always that for me. It was always, there was no coach telling me how to do it. There was no set rule path. And, and so anyways, with the, with the branding, it's like, we're trying to be unique and different from the pack. Um, like I said before, like what's the separator, what's going to make us different and what's the messaging behind it. And, and, um, 
but yeah, I, I, I'm so thrilled about it. It's given me this whole like, you know, boost in Excitement. my life and working with family has been great. And, and I, and I know this is going to happen because I'm so visual, but like, I know like our, our boards have this kind of signature stripe down the base. All the boards have the same base graphic. And it was modeled after a, a, a design that I did earlier in the season before I even thought of doing white space. I randomly put a white stripe, white space down the base of my board and it just all kind of came together. It was like, perfect. Um, but I know I'm going to be riding down the mountain and I'm going to look up at the chairlift and I'm going to see all these striped bases and I'm going to, I don't know. Like it's, 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 it's such a cool connection with people. Like when you've worked on something and then you see somebody enjoying that product and having their own life experience, it's just, there's a cool connection there. So, um, that's that, that sort of, um, dream moment I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for. So anyways, dude, I mean, I mean, I'm excited for this stuff to come out. Cause it, I, you know, I don't know for, for me, I remember getting my first pair of Jordans yeah. when I was young. And I would only use those things on game day and I would clean them afterwards. And it's going to be the same effect on the next generation of snowboarders. Yeah. They're going to have the white space board mm-hmm. and they're thinking of Sean White, much like Jordan established, mm-hmm. you know, basketball. He did in, in a sense yeah. sort of redefine basketball and in the generations going forward. Then, Hey, regardless, you had a different career path. You would have been successful in business because of your personality and all the leadership principles and traits that you've lived your life by. You just took a, a a different approach than most business leaders, yeah. And it's going to be good to see this man uh, come out, dude. I know you also have a documentary, and you probably can't yeah. give us much detail, but um, yeah. W- what can you share with the audience? Because uh-huh. I know who's producing it, and this thing is yeah. This thing is going to be a documentary on the level of the one they did before. Yeah, so it's very exciting. I I, I hope I'm allowed to talk about. It. I'm going to talk about it because why not? But um. You know, basically, uh, you know, my life story. It's something I haven't really told. I've told like the run up to the Olympics, this and that. But, you know, I want to pull the curtain back on all of it. Like, this is how I was really feeling. This is what was going on. This is like, you know, uh, and it's wild to look at it because it's not what you would think. Really, it's a family story. You know, my my whole family started snowboarding at the same time together in a sport that wasn't very mainstream or, or accepted everybody you know pretty outlaw sport at the time and and you know how that kind of changed not only me but my family and then in turn my success and you know altering the sport itself and now the sport taking off with me and and um you know it's it's a really beautiful thing to talk about and 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 i want to just be as open as i can about it now seeing people talk about mental health and all these things you know i just want to be able to address a lot of it and, and pull it back. I mean, like we talked about earlier, I'm like, no, I was really scared a lot of the time. I just like addressed the fear in a certain way. And sometimes it, it came back to bite me and other times it didn't. Like I was okay, like, but I wasn't invincible the whole time. And maybe that can shed some light for the next competitor, you know, after yeah. me to take some notes and to, to find their own path. But it's really exciting. It's really fun to like, you know, dig through the past and look at all these years of competing and, and what was driving me, motivating me. Um, you know, the length of hair at certain times is getting outrageous. Um, but, um, but no, it's great. Um, we're going to be coming out on, uh, Warner, uh, discovery. Um, you know, Warner brothers discovery is merged into a, a, a massive, um, platform now. So we'll be one of their highlighted, um, documentaries coming out and, 
And I'm so excited. I hope everybody uh, enjoys it and um, really gets a look at my life and who I am and what I've been about and what I'm continuing to, you know, pursue in life. So, yeah, it's a, it's a nice tell-all. Let me ask you this. Uh, I know when I retired from the SEAL teams and hung up the, the proverbial gun belt, it took me a while. But has this documentary sort of forced you to reflect on your life and all the years? I mean, it was, was it a growing process for you as well, going through the, uh, the process of filming this thing? It's both. I mean, I'm a competitor at heart. So like even even when I'm watching something where I didn't succeed, like there's this part of me that's like, slightly torn where I'm like, I could have, I could have won. Why, what was I thinking? You know, but you're like, you're diving through your whole life of like, why did I do that? And I should have, you know, and I know now what I was thinking, but at the time you got to remember, I was operating on like the tools that I had and what I thought was best. And so there's certain things that have happened and obviously amazing career, but like, even at that, there's still things that you wish and could have changed and whatnot. And, and so it is therapeutic in some ways. And in other ways, it's like, it's really annoying because I'm, I'm like, Abigate, yeah, I get mad and I'm like, oh, I should just go back. And <laughs> it's, like, it's a, it's a mixture. So obviously it's fun to dive through and see a lot of the old, old things and, and whatnot. But, um, but it's tough. It's tough to tell that, that story correctly and to be honest and to be like, well, I don't want to convey a story that, that it was this. Like, I, I don't want people to think that it was just, everything was great. And then I went on to the next. No, what was, what was really happening was this. It was tough. It was hard or, or it wasn't hard. It was, you know, like whatever it was, um, you know, really trying to, um, tell the story that should be told, not the story I want to tell, you know? Yeah. So, yes. But yeah. So a lot of that is great and I'm definitely excited about it. And, um, but, it, but again, yeah, it's really fun. I, I think I'm in good hands. Um, you know, the, the, the people that made the, the last dance with Michael Jordan are, are helping me make this project. So I feel like I'm in good hands. And um, yeah, very exciting. Well, dude, let me, let me, not that you need a compliment for me, but let me commend you for putting that out there because I know it gives an unprecedented sort of peek behind the curtains uh, of your life. And, and you have to be vulnerable. You, you have to accept being vulnerable to put something of that magnitude out for the, uh, the public to see. But uh, there will be the keyboard cowards that make comments, but yeah. the good 99% of the world is going to be appreciative of the fact that you put out there mm -hmm. and they're going to learn from, from your life. And I can't wait for that thing to come out because okay. my wife and I love a Friday night at home watching a freaking good documentary. So yeah, uh, it's going to be epic, man. All right. Well, Sean, man, I, I can't thank you enough for joining us. We do finish this with uh, a few questions, but I'm going to ask you one, man. Okay. Um, you know, you, you reflected and one of the things, we, we ask of our guests is when all is said and done, and man, that's like 50 to 60 years down the line for you. Um, when all is said and done, and that moment comes for you on your deathbed, how, how is Sean White going to look back and reflect on his life and whether he lived a life of impact and purpose? Mm. What are the things that you want to be known for? What's your legacy that you want to be left behind? Yeah. Um, it's a great question. I mean, I've asked myself that a couple of times. I was in a, a store and I saw like, a picture of Steve McQueen on the wall. And right next to that was like Frank Sinatra. And then a picture next to that was Kelly Slater. And I was like, Oh wow. And I was like sitting there thinking about him and that group of, of great men. And I was like, all right, but in so many deserving ways, of course, like he represents certain something, you know? And to me it was like, 
you know, um, you know, he lives his life a certain way, a certain style and, 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 you know, greatness within his sport, you know, family man, this guy. And, and, um, and so I was like, wow, what if I was on that wall, what would I represent? You know? And, and I think, I think it's, it's interesting, you know, I had, a, I have, was kind of conflicted because I was like, gosh, I would want to be known for all the great things I did. Obviously, you know, I would love to be seen as somebody that didn't really take the norm as, is um, acceptable, you know, I, I, I push the limits everywhere I can, you know, um, you know, and, and, and was able to create a sport, um, in many ways, you know, and, and, and shape it. Um, so I'd love to be known for all those things, but also like, man, I'd love to be known as just like a good, good, good guy. <laughs> like I was a good friend. Like when you called me, I was there to help you move out of your apartment. Like I was there through a breakup i i want to be the guy that was there for people you know and and that's all in the end of the day you know when you talk to people that really have it all it's those are the things that are most important it's it's hard to tell that to a lot of people because they go well you have it all you know you know well it takes somebody to have a lot of it to know that you know and and to really see that these important things in life um you know it's it, they're 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 not as as important as you think and the little things are and so uh, I feel like I'd hope to be remembered as somebody that appreciated the little things. Well, Sean, uh, we know your photos on that wall. If it's not already uh, already up there, I put it up. The people there. that own that I, wall, I, bring I, it up, man. I just yeah. <laughs> so, hey, man. You know, you come in to these interviews with assumption of who people are, man, and you've blown me away. And I know for our listeners, they've taken a lot more away than just three nuggets, man. Uh, thank you for for the vulnerability uh, on this podcast. Again, for the audience, go check out whitespacecreative.com or, or Sean White, and it'll take you there. And then this documentary is going to be, uh, I'll use the word epic, just like uh, every run you uh, you made. So, man, I can't thank you enough for coming uh, coming on this podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Thanks, brother. And again, uh, for all our audience, thanks for joining. Uh, this has been the Men's Journal Everyday Warrior Podcast. Until next time, I'm Mike Sorelli. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Men's Journal Everyday Warrior podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and pick up a new issue of Men's Journal magazine. Men's Journal magazine has features on health and fitness, adventure and travel, style, and my favorite, the coolest gear hitting the market today. Until next time, I'm Mike Sorelli, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.